Today, as every year on this day, we focus our attention on the story of a cruel death by crucifixion that took place so long ago on that first Good Friday. It is a story that speaks to so much of the dark side of our human condition. A betrayal, the fickle nature of public opinion, the charges against an innocent man and his summary conviction, the cowardice of those who passed the buck and gave in to the crowds, the lashings, the beatings, a crown of thorns, the mockery, the abject cruelty and outright torture, the bleeding, the dying, the crying of his mother and his friends, the helpless feelings of all who stood by or who fled. There's hardly a more grotesque form of torture and death imaginable than this one. And this was not the only crucifixion to happen in those times. Crucifixion was not only a cruel method of torture to punish a criminal offender, it was a weapon of political control that sent a message to anyone who might think of challenging the system of Roman imperial might, one that sent a clear message that you don't want to mess with Rome. In a book he wrote several years ago, <clears throat> Brian McLaren says that the cross was Rome's brilliant way of eliminating uncooperative people. Imperial security forces would erect crosses conspicuously on hillsides near well-traveled roads near major cities of the empire. By impaling rebels like insects on pins for public view, security forces would demonstrate both the absolute and fearsome power of the empire and the complete and pathetic powerlessness of writhing, gasping, crying, would-be insurrectionists. It would just take one quick glance at a cross, perhaps supporting a naked victim covered in sweat and blood, feces dripping down his leg, screaming and moaning and sobbing, and the lesson would be learned. Or perhaps a second quick glance a few days later, the Roman cross holding high the rebels' rotting remains as they were attended to by scavenging crows, a vulture or two, feral dogs, a cloud of flies, and magus. The quickest glance at a cross, he writes, would cure almost anyone of the impulse to shake up the blissful state, the blissful status quo of the Pax Romana. At first, it seemed a success on this occasion in one of its faraway outposts in Palestine. This Jesus, who had gone about preaching a message of love, who had inspired even the lowest members of society to imagine that their lives also had value and meaning, this Jesus who spoke of an alternative kingdom, the kingdom of God, where power was turned on its head, where the first will be last and the last first, where the poor are blessed and the rich are sent away empty, where power is not defined by how big an army one has or how much wealth one has amassed, but by how willing one is to serve others. His was a message that did not accommodate itself to the idea of empire, either by joining it and legitimizing the powers that be, as many religious people did and still do, 
nor by opposing it with revolutionary force, as some people did and do, nor by withdrawing from it or merely compartmentalizing their lives into the sacred and secular, as many did and, yes, still do. Instead, Jesus had come proclaiming not an esoteric religious concept, but an alternative to the very idea of empire. Don't let your lives be framed by the narratives and counter-narratives of the Roman Empire, Jesus was saying, but situate yourselves in another story, the good news that God, and only God, is sovereign over all. And we can live in relation to God and God's love rather than Caesar and Caesar's power. This, of course, was precisely why Rome found Jesus' message so very threatening. And at first, his crucifixion apparently had exactly the right effect. All of his followers scattered, terrified and intimidated by the spectacle of his crucifixion, all except the women, whose continued presence and presumed powerlessness seemed of little consequences to the Romans. This horrific spectacle seemed to put an end to the whole thing. No one else would be trying to beat this drum again. And so it might have been had the story ended there, but it did not. What the Roman authorities didn't realize was that the tool they employed for torture and intimidation would be transformed into something else entirely. In fact, it would become a symbol of the very kind of self-giving love that Jesus had preached. It would become a symbol of the alternative to empire and power that had been so much a part of his teaching. It would become the ultimate symbol of personal sacrifice for the sake of others that would bring to life for all people what Israel's religious system had meant for a particular people. It would teach the world that love for God and for one's neighbor is the one true path to any kind of meaningful or legitimate power. What was seen at first as an instrument of torture was transformed into a sign of salvation. The ironies of this day, Good Friday, are many and they are real. And the irony of this symbol, the cross, once one of shame and disgrace and disgust, and now one of the love that lays down one's life for others. It's a profound, it, it is profound in its reversal of all the systems of power and domination that our world has depended on for so long. And while it's tempting to see Jesus simply as a victim, he is much more than that. As Richard Rohr has noted, Jesus was not simply an unfortunate victim of a domination system's brutality, he was also a protagonist filled with passion. His passion, his message, was about the kingdom of God. He spoke to peasants as a voice of peasant religious protest against the central economic and political institutions of his day. He attracted a following and took his movement to Jerusalem right at the season of Passover. There he challenged the authorities with public acts and public debates. All of this was his passion. What he was passionate about 
God and the kingdom of God, God and God's passion for justice. Rome and all the empires of this world, both before and after, have come and gone. But Jesus' final act of love will never go away. It will always stand as a reminder to us of the one and only means of our salvation. And that is the power of love to transform us and our world. Nothing else works. In just a few moments, we will have the opportunity to sit or stand or kneel before the cross, perhaps to reach out and touch it or even to kiss the foot of it. Our veneration of the cross is not, as some might think, an act of idolatrous devotion to an object, and neither is it a mere sentimental act of personal piety. Rather, it is a chance for us to do something that most of his disciples did not do, and that we do not always do in our own time either, frankly, which is to stay with Jesus at the foot of the cross. The disciples left, but we have another chance. We can decide to stay, to be witnesses to that defining moment when the powers of this world are exposed for what they truly are and where the power of self-giving love is revealed to be the very power of God and the only power that finally makes any difference at all. As we behold the cross today, it is our chance to be at that place and in that moment when our own hearts can be transformed and to face into our own temptation to accumulate and to use power as defined by the world around us and instead to look at and gaze upon the only power that has any lasting meaning the power of God's self-giving love. And while it may not call us to give our lives in the same way that Jesus did, it does cause us all, call us all, to do the same offering of ourselves fully to God and to one another. And in doing so, to continue what began there, to bring into being God's kingdom a new and counterintuitive alternative to every other failed attempt to create and sustain human community. So as hard as this is to gaze upon this cross and let us not hide our faces from it today, for it transforms all the sufferings of this world into something more glorious. From it emerges the truest sign of love for all to see. In a hymn by St. Thomas Aquinas, we'll sing a little later this morning, today, we hear these words, Therefore we, before him bending, this great sacrament revere. Types and shadows have their ending, for the newer rite is here. Faith, our outward sense befriending, makes our inward vision clear. So may the love that manifests itself on the cross make our inward vision clear, and may it surround and embrace and fill us this day.